Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined on the pod by Ryan Carr. Listeners may know Ryan as the former growth lead for the Hustle's daily newsletter. Now, he's the founder of Blakely Digital, an agency he founded to help newsletters grow their audience and revenue. Ryan, I am super excited to chat about what's working for you and your clients when it comes to newsletter growth in 2023. But first, how did you end up in the world of newsletters? So I started kind of in the newsletter world because I was working growth at The Hustle. So basically leading acquisition for the daily newsletter and then trends, which was brand new at the time, had just launched when I joined. So really had a cool opportunity to be on the ground floor as one of you know the, the first big newsletters out there started to monetize through premium subscription. So got a lot of experience in both growing a free list, growing a premium list, and then was at the hustle all the way through the HubSpot acquisition. I stuck around at HubSpot for about a year, then wanted to get back into startup world. And while I was working as head of growth at a different startup, basically found an opportunity to start consulting with newsletters as this whole ecosystem has really opened up over the last couple of years. And yeah, so now that now it's what me and my team do. We I do what I was doing at the hustle growing free lists, helping with monetization strategy, but just for a, a wide variety of, of newsletter and media companies. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me about some of those those companies. Who Who's the kind of client that you would work with? Yeah. So really, we usually work with clients with larger lists. And a lot of the clients that we're working with are, are really focused on monetization. So I would say, you know, lists of 50,000 plus and are focus on building out a premium subscription or monetizing in-house, but also growing that the free lists as well. We consult with some smaller newsletters as well, but in terms of our managed growth service, we, we tend to work with larger media companies, larger newsletters. Are there any names you can throw out there for people who are wondering? Sure, yeah. Fantasy Life, which is Matthew Berry's fantasy football newsletter. Bankless, which is a big crypto web three newsletter. Working with Scott Oldford and Wisdom Media, he's got this awesome vision of this huge newsletter ecosystem that he's been building through through newsletter acquisitions. So yeah, those are some of the bigger ones. There's a lot of smaller folks that we're working with as well. So it's nice to talk to someone who is, I guess, a little bit of a weirdo in the same way that I am, in that I'm not building a newsletter of my own. Well, we, we write our own one at Sparkly, but it's not our main job. But we get to see inside lots of different newsletters and see what's working for them. So a question I always like to ask when I meet someone like that is, you, you see inside all these different successful newsletters, they're all different in, in their own unique and wonderful ways. What do you think they have in common that makes them all successful? What's like the, the common thread that they have between them? I mean, the easy answer is good content. Like really, I mean, that enables growth more than anything else. You can add people to a list, you can have great ads, you can have a great diversified growth channel mix, but you're not going to 
grow in the ways that count, retaining subscribers, organic growth that just comes from word of mouth and people sharing it, whether you have a referral program or not, just kind of the natural growth that occurs when you're writing good content. I mean, essentially what you're selling at the end of the day or what you're, what you're providing to people is content and information. So I find that the, the, the newsletters that I really enjoy working with and the newsletters that just grow the fastest and work the best are those that really put an emphasis on the quality of their content. Sure. And what, what does that look like? I mean, is that something that is, is inherent? Is that something that can be changed and, and, and learned, I guess? What's, what does quality content mean, I guess? So curation is a big trend nowadays. And so I think that people that are really plugged in to the, the niche that they're at, that they're, uh, because a lot of people nowadays are saying, oh, this is a cool and maybe a profitable space to get into the newsletter space, but they pick a niche that they say, oh, well, I think this would be cool because it would be easy to grow, or I think it would be cool because it would be really easy to monetize, or there'd be a lot of sponsor interests. But I think where the good content comes from is it has to be something that the individual that's writing it or the team that's writing it is one, really interested in, and two, really plugged into. I think like a genuine obsession with the kind of content that they're providing or the niche that the, the, their newsletter is placed in, I think that that really comes through. And then there are all sorts of structural components and, and formatting things that, that the best newsletters do right as well. But yeah, we're happy to get into that as well. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about sort of, I guess, newsletters that are coming to you, especially on the growth side. They are presumably doing that because they're struggling, either struggling to grow themselves or they, they think there's opportunities to, to grow faster, right? They they they're looking to make a change, it means they're not quite doing it themselves, right? When someone comes to you like that, whether they're you know already successful or struggling a little bit, what are the first things that you're looking at to try and figure out why they aren't already sort of hitting the, the goals that they want to be hit? Yeah, I mean, the first one of the first questions that I ask is, do you have a baked out LTV for, for any free subscribers that you're bringing through the door? Do you have a, do you have a model for understanding how much a subscriber is worth? And if they don't, in a lot of cases, they don't, we'll help build that model for them. For anyone who most regular listeners will know what LTV is, but we should just right. say it anyway, it's, it's lifetime value of a subscriber, right? So yeah, it's theoretically, I, I guess, how much money you will make from a, a subscriber on average over the, the lifetime of them being subscribed to the newsletter effectively. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a calculation that you can back into for a newsletter specifically based on what kind of CPM you're charging sponsors, the open rate of the average subscriber or the, the subscriber uh, within a certain cohort that you're trying to understand the lifetime value of. And so that's a model that we help the folks that we work with build in a lot of cases. So that's a good starting point. You know, in a lot of cases, it's we've been growing organically. We've been growing using this one channel. We want to put some more fuel on the fire. We want to diversify the channels that we're growing through. And that's where we'll come in, help them build out those channels, manage those channels, optimize those channels. And then in a lot of cases, either be a thought partner and a strategic partner in better monetization. And that could mean, you know, let's let's think through how you can better monetize this newsletter, or this media asset that you have, or you already have a way of that you're monetizing. Let's 
optimize or build out a funnel to get more free subscribers to that premium membership to the product that you're offering, et cetera. Awesome. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to dig into there, but one question I always have is, I, I like how you focus on the LTV. At what point when someone comes to you, what LTV are you sort of, or is it even based on LTV that you would be saying, okay, let's focus on growth or maybe, you know, we should figure out some ways to monetize more effectively first before we start thinking about growth. What's the sort of cutoff point for you? What are you looking at? Yeah, I don't know if there is a hard line. I haven't really, I, I haven't really approached it from the perspective of saying, hey, based on this data, I mean, unless they're just not monetizing at all, I think there are always ways, I mean, with the tools that are out there now, like, you know, plug for Sparkloop, but with the tools that are out there now, like you can basically set your CPA, right? And, and bring folks in at a cost that's most effective for you. So I don't know if there's really a, a hard line where I would say, let's, let's like focus on monetization more. Although I would say that it's like a holistic approach, right? So like, at the same time that we're trying to grow at the current LTV, we're also saying, let's find ways to better monetize. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always an interesting thing that it's something we see a lot is people come to us and they'll say, look, we really, we're, we're paying, I don't know, $3 per engaged subscriber at the moment. And we really want to, you know, can you help us find a way to get that to 280? And yeah. I have to kind of say, look, well, we probably can get you to 280, but it's a lot more difficult to go from three to 280 than it is to increase whatever the value of a subscriber is by more than 20 cents, right? There's the, the sky's the limit on how much a subscriber can be worth, but the amount that you can reduce the cost of acquiring a subscriber down to is, is effectively zero. It's, it's a much smaller range of like, you have much less flexibility. Yeah, and and especially, you know, a lot of the, the clients that we're working with, like I mentioned, have bigger lists, so they're trying to scale spend. And it's really hard to stay in the neighborhood. A lot of folks use $2 as, hey, like $2 is where you should be for to acquire newsletter subscribers on paid channels. You can get to $2 pretty quickly. You can get it under $2 pretty quickly. But when you're scaling to thousands and thousands of dollars a day in ad spend, you're going to have to find ways to either mitigate the increase in, in cost per subscriber or better monetize and, and make any difference in cost per subscriber worth it in the long run. For sure. When you have people coming to you at that stage where they want to either to grow or to some help with monetization and scaling the growth side of things, what's an indicator to a, a newsletter operator that it's sort of the right time to start thinking about, about that and reaching out to an agency like yours? Yeah, I would say if you're, if you're looking to start paid ads, for example, you can start running tests. You can start seeing what the interest is. You can focus on one channel and really kind of lean into that with a small team. I think where we would step in is when, and when I think reaching out to an agency, a newsletter growth agency like ours helps, is looking to really scale growth rapidly, looking to put fuel in the fire. If you have ad budget, for example, if you're starting to bring in sponsorship revenue and you want to you know, basically turn that into to newsletter growth, turn that into list growth and really invest there, that's what we do well is we say, okay, let's test these channels. Let's see where we find the best efficiency and, and really and really just start to, to turn things up on the growth side. Got it. And why would a, a newsletter operator or a media brand, why would they come to a, a third-party agency like yours to, to do this rather than trying to, to do it in-house? I think it's just expedited efficiency we, and also just expertise we see. We work with so many newsletters at this point that we see what works well on the paid ad side. 
And also we just bring that knowledge from all these different clients that we're working with. One thing that I like to tell folks that we work with is sure, we're handling the implementation side of whatever you bring us on to do, but we also like to act as just a strategic partner and, and you know, an advisory partner as well and say, hey, here's what we're seeing. And it's fun for us because I, I get to work on some really interesting uh, problems across all these newsletters and, and bring, you really start to connect the dots across the industry when you're working in so many different verticals and niches. Well, what are those, some of those things that you you are seeing working at the moment then? What are some of those things that you're sort of learning from, from the multiple clients on the growth side and implementing right now? What's like the, if you're in 2023, summer 2023, and you want to scale your newsletter growth on the free side, paid acquisition for your free newsletter, like what's the, the quick win? What's the first thing to do? If you're, if you're investing in paid acquisition, the channels that I would be testing now would be Facebook ads, which is the obvious one, kind of meta ads, Facebook, Instagram. But kind of more recently, I think Twitter ads has started to play a bigger role in folks' growth channel mix. That's something that we started testing with one client. We saw great results. We started basically bringing that knowledge of real efficiency to other clients. And now we've really started to scale up Twitter ads as part of our operations just within the agency. So, I mean, Twitter ads is a great place to start for newsletters also because there's just so much interest in newsletters on Twitter currently. Uh, there's basically like newsletter Twitter almost. So that's a really, uh, that's kind of a newer development, but you know, also there the same same time and not trying to plug too much, but there, there are also just, there are tools out there like something like Sparkloop, some other referral tools that are out there where you can basically set your price, monetize right away. And we see a lot of folks starting with, with those tools as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Twitter ads is a really interesting one because it's not something we've talked about much on the podcast before. It was, I think the last time we were talking to someone who was more on the, the paid social growth side of things, it was it was Facebook, 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 mm-hmm. tiny little bit of LinkedIn and maybe some Quora and Reddit and like weird circumstances. But I've also heard a lot of people doing or, you know, investing more into, into Twitter ads in the last... I mean, for me, it's really been the last like 60 days or so. I haven't really seen too much before before that. And then all of a sudden, my entire feed is feed is, is newsletter ads. And you can tell a lot of them are following the same inspiration because it's essentially worded the same, but with, yeah. with slightly different uh, uh, things. Might, might be a lot of us. Yeah, <laughs> could be. But I mean, they're, they're, they're compelling. Like they work. The reason they stand out is I'm like, oh, that's actually an ad. Like I didn't even think that was going to be. I thought it was just a, a new newsletter that I hadn't discovered before. And oh, of course, it's it's an ad. So I, I guess what's the, why is Twitter interesting now? Like what is, what is unique about Twitter compared to, to Facebook? One of the things that I heard was that it's apparently very good at like targeting the audiences of specific profiles and, and other brands. Is that a thing? It's not, you know, it's not something we're, we're experts at. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of reasons. First, I'll start with the reason that you mentioned, which is the targeting. Really unique targeting capability where you basically choose Twitter accounts. And in the same way with that with Facebook, you can create look like audiences for custom lists or, or folks that interact with your ads or your site in a certain way. You can create look like audiences based on profiles that you designate. So you can basically create a list of, hey, here are Twitter influencers or Twitter personalities or just accounts that really match the demographic that I'm trying to target. Create a list of a bunch of them. And Twitter goes out and finds people that look like or that act like or that have the same interests as the audiences of those Twitter 
accounts that you've, de- that you've defined. So really interesting targeting capabilities there. The other reason is that the ads, just to your point, look native, right? They look like they're just tweets. And unless you see the little promoted thing at the bottom, you wouldn't know that it's an ad necessarily. And you know you run them ideally from the newsletter author or the newsletter personality's account. So it looks very native to the platform. Yeah, for sure. And are you seeing the, well, I guess we can talk a little bit about the content of those ads as well, but are you seeing them performing best when you're sending people through to, to your page? Or is, does, does Twitter even have the functionality to let people opt in on, on Twitter? I don't even know. I should have, should have asked that in advance. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> what we usually do is send them to the landing page. You send them to the page? Yeah, we have like a, an optimized, for most clients, just a paid landing page that we send all the paid traffic to. Which is, again, not to plug Sparkloop, but is the advantage of that, which is what we recommend on Facebook as well as obviously that you then can, can monetize via the, the paid recommendations, right? So you can you can earn some of that back, which is, is nice. Very cool. So what about on the, the content side? So you've already mentioned that one of the advantages is it looks very native into the, you know, along with the, the organic, the non-paid content. And it's it's coming from the, the creator or the newsletter operator's personal brand themselves. So there's a lot of social social trust there. But the actual content and sort of format of an ad, what are you seeing performing better? Is it text, video, images? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, to be to be honest, we haven't we haven't tested a lot of video yet, just because I think in terms of really, I guess expediting the process of getting them converted, we we think just like the, the hypothesis is that just that the image an image asset will will work best. But that being said, I mean, really the the focus and where we've seen make the most difference in terms of performance is the text, because that's I mean that's what the tweet is essentially, right? And if you're if you're really trying to if you're trying to capture somebody's attention on Twitter, what they're used to doing is reading and reacting to what they're reading. You know, whether it's ad copy or a tweet. So where we've really put a lot of effort into testing is just in in the copy of the of the tweet. Got it. And is there like a, a format for that? Like, a, do you need like a hook and then a, I don't know what's the like the, the text format that seems to work? Is there like a, a blueprint that people can follow? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is hook as with as with just like if you're looking to get engagement on a normal tweet, right? On on just like a, an organic tweet, definitely focus most of your time on the hook, and then, I mean, it's really just copywriting at that point. It's just really focusing on making it readable, making it snappy, and then ending with a CTA. So ending with a call to action and saying just like it's all in the free newsletter. Like subscribe to the free newsletter. So really kind of making the next the next step very apparent as well. Very cool. And what kind of newsletter does Twitter perform well for, do you think? Really, what we're starting to find is that wherever there's a niche community for, for the subject of the newsletter on Twitter is when it performs well. And the, kind of the beauty of that is there's almost a niche community for everything on Twitter. It's about identifying and with the targeting capabilities that I mentioned, you can really tap into just that niche, which makes it a really unique channel. So for example, like we have a fantasy football newsletter that we work with. We've seen a lot of success just targeting fantasy football influencers, business interests. So entrepreneurship newsletters, investing newsletters, there are big communities for that on Twitter. So it really gives you an opportunity to tap into specifically the audience where you're going to get the best reception and ideally the most engagement. Got it. Okay. And I guess if you're, if you're larger, if you're already spending on, on paid 
growth, then you'll have some of these things down already, and then you'll be, you know, be looking to an agency like yours to, to help you test this out. If you're on the smaller side, though, and on the newer side, where maybe that that doesn't quite make sense yet, but you you still want to play around with testing out Twitter, maybe with a smaller budget. At what point would you say give you know give it a go? And also, like, what are the the steps to get started? Well, if you're monetizing already, and say you're getting through like these recommendation widgets, you're getting a two dollar you know revenue per sub already. There's no reason why you can't reinvest that into growth. Now, like people have different models that they're business models that they're following. They might want to focus more on just kind of the revenue side and growing organically. But if your focus is on fast list growth, then you can basically just take that revenue per sub that you're already generating and reinvest it and just know and you know have confidence that you're essentially growing for free at that point, which is wild. It wasn't like that like a year ago. So it's pretty insane. Yeah, for sure. If someone does want to start off today and they are at that point where, you know, how, how would they get started? And I mean, you know, we don't need to do the the breakdown of here's how to set up a Twitter account and here's how to, you know, click here and all that stuff. But like, what are the, the maybe the non-obvious things like high level, like what should you not not do? Yeah, I, I mean, easiest way to start for somebody who doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience in running paid ads is create a Twitter ads campaign create a lookalike audience or, a, or, or an ad group, like basically target like 25 influencers that match the demographic that you're looking for and just create some ads. You'll see some of the best ads that perform well. And this is true across the board. It's It doesn't take high production quality, high production value. You see some of the best ads that we've tested, some of the best ads that other marketing agencies and and some of the biggest brands in, in the newsletter space right now are running with for a long time, they're just creating the notes app where you create, you create them in Canva and it takes like 10 minutes. And so really, if you're, if you're, if you're wanting to test, I would say the importance is really outlining the value propositions, to the newsletter and the creative, do that, write a tweet with a hook, with a call to action and run it to folks that match that kind of lookalike audience that you're, that you're building. Got it. And is there like a minimum budget at which point like it just doesn't make sense to be testing this kind of stuff? I would say a, a budget, a good budget that we start with usually to test is like $100 a day. You could test for less than that. Like really, I mean, it's just about learnings. It's about how quickly with a lot of these ad platforms, they have like a learning phase. And the faster you get out of that learning phase, the better results are. So if you starting at $100 a day, you'll get out of that pretty quickly. But yeah, that would that would be the only kind of delineator there is you want you want to get out of the learning phase quickly. And I guess piggyback on from that, like what are if you, if you're talking to maybe a slightly smaller newsletter operator, like what are some of the things that you're seeing working really well on the growth side for them at the moment? Yeah, I would say building building organic distribution. So really focusing on consistent posting on Twitter and also you know recommendation tools, opting into tools like that. Because that those are those are the kinds of things that weren't necessarily available a while ago, or even very recently, to be honest, where you can just set your price and also monetize immediately. So I think more and more folks are leaning into into tools like Sparkloop and similar re- recommendation widgets, and really starting there with growth. But I would say just like building an organic presence is probably the most important, because then you get a highly engaged list and kind of evangelists, right? You get folks that are that are your day one fans and came to you organically. 
Yeah, for sure. And what are some of the, the most common mistakes that you're seeing people making on the growth side of things? It's a good question. Well, let, let's open it up, not even on the growth side of things, just newsletters generally. Like what are the, the mistakes you're seeing people making? They're coming to you and you're going, oh, why? Yeah, I would say, and this kind of goes back to what we were saying prior, which is really thinking that it's as simple as just like, you know, putting very little effort into writing something and sending it out to you know to people and growing as cheaply as fo- as possible, not focusing on engagement, like engagement metrics or something you should always be keeping a very close eye on because as a lot of your listeners will know, and as, and I'm sure, you know, it's just deliverability is just like a killer for, for email based businesses. If, if it goes wrong, especially coming into this space now, it's easy to be hyper-focused on, on the numbers and kind of the sexy metrics of list size, you know, growth rate, but really focusing on the basics and making sure that you're investing time into creating good quality content that people are actually going to stick around for. You can bring as many people on the list as you want with nice looking ads that convert well, but if they're not sticking around, if you're not retaining them, your list isn't going to grow anyway. How how important do you finding for that, for the last part, how important do you finding like welcome emails and welcome sequences that do you spend a lot of time on tweaking those or do you have like a set thing that you recommend? Yeah, I think a welcome email is important and it's, it's particularly important in setting the tone for the email, right? I think it's a really cool opportunity to do that and start to build that relationship that leads to retention and to engagement. One thing that I recommend all clients do and just really any newsletter is immediately get them engaged with some of your most popular content. So give them an opportunity to hop in right away before they even start reading the email, give them kind of the greatest hits and then even start introducing, <laughs> not in like a really pushy salesy way, especially up front. But hey, if you're looking for something deeper, we have this premium newsletter as well. You know, check it out. We have a welcome offer that we give to, to new readers. So there are a lot of ways that you can utilize a welcome email outside of just increasing deliverability, which is what you know the primary focus should be. But you can also increase retention. You can increase engagement. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about premium newsletters, actually, because it's something we haven't covered in, in a while on, on the podcast. They obviously they they were huge and it was all everybody could talk about. What was that? Three four years ago, roughly. Yeah. And then since then, it seems to be they've they've fallen a little bit out of popularity, at least maybe only in sort of in, in the discourse, maybe not in, in real life. But people are definitely aren't talking about them as much anymore, and everybody's talking about advertising revenue and, and all that stuff at the moment, yeah. or they have been at least over the last year or so. Are you bullish on on paid subscriptions for newsletters? I'm definitely bullish on paid components to media companies that have newsletters. I think a premium newsletter is becoming increasingly harder to sell. And the reason for that is that people are offering so much value in free newsletters. And and really a big, because newsletters have become so, it, it's, it's it, the space has just exploded. And so people have limited attention, right? So if you offer them one more thing to read, it's going to be a harder sell unless it's just like absolutely packed with with niche specific or industry specific value that you're not offering in the free newsletter, in which case go for it and test it. What I would say is that there are different ways to monetize that might be easier to scale and more attractive to a free subscriber, stuff like communities, stuff like tools that you build in some cases or 
discount libraries that, that we've seen people put together as well. There are different approaches to monetization that I think might be easier and also lower lift for the company, for, for the organization building them, right? If you can build something once and sell it a bunch of times, that's going to be a lot easier on you. And actually, you can add a lot more value over time to those things a lot easier than just another 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 newsletter that you have to get out the door every week or two weeks or whatever your cadence is. It's, it's funny. It's I see a lot of resistance to that, even though it, it, it makes sense. And I, I, I totally totally back that i see a lot of resistance to it from from newsletter operators especially the ones who are coming into this more from like the journalism side of things Mm -hmm. where they they really just you know they there is no distinction between the newsletter and the business and and the revenue streams it's just i want to write newsletters and i want to get paid for writing newsletters and that's what i want to do and anything else is is a distraction so how do you well i I guess what are some good examples of, of people who are driving paid revenue, paid subscription revenue from their audience, but not through a paid newsletter directly? I think um, Bankless is a good example. They have a great community that's specific to their premium membership. They've also added like a discount library and a bunch of tools that you can only access through through their premium membership. So I think offering like a tool set like that where there's a direct line from why you're signing up for the newsletter, the kind of content, the niche that you're interested in, and hey, here's all this value that we're providing. I think that that works really well. Yeah, a lot of community-based. And hey, honestly, I've seen premium newsletters that work really well as well. I, I subscribe to some premium newsletters, and I think the differentiator is that the premium newsletter is almost the product at that point. Like it's, It, it is the front-end product versus a free newsletter being the main focus for example, there's this uh, executive coach. Her name's Dr. Julie Gurner. She's a big presence on Twitter. She has a newsletter called Ultra Successful. I believe her free newsletter is is basically like kind of curated links and, and, and tweets and things like that. And then to get the real content, it's a premium newsletter. I subscribe to that. And it's one of my favorite things that I read. So I think that, yeah, it, it's really... It's really dependent on where the focus is. If the, if the free newsletter starts as the focus and kind of the main value driver, it's going to be harder to provide as much value as you might need to upsell them in a premium newsletter. Yeah, no, for sure. It's one of the funny things that I often say is that I think most people who have a paid newsletter, especially if it's not from a business, if it's from a personality, yeah. I think they often overestimate the let's say like the, the quantitative value of the, the content that's in the paid thing. And they underestimate how much people just want to support them and help them keep going effectively. Right? They're like, it's, I'm not necessarily paying this, this 10 or $20 a month for the, the actual, that one specific extra edition that I get each week that's paid. It's more so that you keep writing and so that you know that I support you and so that I get access to the community and maybe so that you see that on Twitter, oh, it's one of my paid subscribers and, and so on. And I think people don't quite... Well, they would maybe maybe they would prefer to think, oh, it's it's all just because this this one newsletter I write is so good that I'm I'm getting paid for it. Yeah, it's almost like a Patreon model at that point, right? And yeah, we've actually we've worked with newsletters like that where they were experiencing a lot of churn, and it was as kind of economic times were getting a little harder, and they were experiencing a lot of churn, and so they put out this survey, and they were like, oh my gosh, like wh- why why are people churning from from the premium subscription? And the feedback they got back was. Love supporting you guys, but you know, like, can't really afford the membership anymore. It, it had nothing to do with the the quality of the content that they were putting out there, and ultimately, to your point, the reason why they subscribed didn't necessarily have anything with the quality of the content. It was more just 
we love you guys. We love the free subscription. We want to support you and keep you in business. So, yeah, we we just want this thing to exist, right? It's, it's yeah. a totally valid and I think underrated reason. So let's say we're talking about newsletter operators, and there are a lot at the moment who've been monetizing purely through through ads and, and sponsorships and affiliates and stuff like that, where it's you know it's free for the audience and they're just doing it that way. If you were talking to someone like that who is considering adding in a paid component of some kind and doesn't quite know what that looks like yet, what would you be walking them through? Do you have like a, an approach you take to that? Where you, the questions you'd ask, what does that look like? I think it's going to be very niche specific in a lot of cases. And it also has to do with the capability of the the client or, or the partner of the company. But I think a really... and. I think this will be maybe controversial because a lot of folks say, you know, you should build with with the vision first. But if you if you don't have the vision necessarily, come up with like five or six ideas. And if you have an engaged audience, which you're going to need to monetize anyway, just ask your ask your audience, put it out in a survey. We have a client that we're working with that just did this and they were really leaning in the direction of one option where they were saying, I really think that this is what they want. And the feedback that they got was overwhelmingly for a different option. And so they built in that direction. Now they're seeing some success. A place that I would start if you have no idea is let's brainstorm some ideas that seem doable, seem feasible, that align with your audience. And let's pitch it to the audience and see, you know, what would you most likely pay for? And I think that that'll translate to higher conversion rate from that free to premium. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, we're coming close to the the end. I, I want to be be mindful of your time, but I do want to finish on on two questions that I really like. And one of them is, again, we are slightly unique and weird in that we see a lot of different newsletters, and we see sort of what's happening with them, and we're obviously thinking about where you know where are trends going in the future. So, I we really started at Sparkly thinking about newsletters in probably 2018, 2019 was like the first time that I started really getting exposed to, to newsletters and not really that much change between 2019 and I want to say 2021 end of 21 really like the you know the things that were working in growth at the beginning were still working pretty much at the end and I mean there were shifts happening but it wasn't like you know th- there wasn't anything new and, and really dramatic that was happening and then in the last year you've had free recommendations paid recommendations all kinds of different stuff that's just kind of exploded out of nowhere and has really just completely changed the, the game. Where do you think sort of the newsletter industry will be in, let's say, the end of 2024? So like 18 months from now? Man, I would say one thing that I'm seeing a lot of now, I mean, it's funny because you have this kind of unbundling that's happened with with just all of these different newsletter niches you know, all these different creators, I think one trend that we might start to see is more roll-ups of newsletters where people buy up newsletters and build media companies with, you know, the, and and basically kind of own properties from from one niche or, or a variety of niches. So basically just kind of an almost rebundling of this unbundling that's occurred. That's something that we're already starting to see happen in, in a couple of ways, but I think it will start to accelerate in the coming years for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are a lot of compelling arguments for that, right? Around the, the pooling of resources and newsletter operators not necessarily being experts in every different thing. And maybe they, you know, it'd be very useful for them to have someone with a playbook who can go out and do that. And I mean, we've seen 
all kinds of different attempts at that from morning brew bringing, bringing sort of creators in-house to work week trying to take the opposite approach to I mean there are all different kinds of ones now we have every has their own sort of collective approach and I know you work with with Scott who's doing some interesting stuff there and in, in building out a little sort of group of, of media businesses it's going to be a, an interesting time for for sure absolutely and then my, my last question I guess is you know we've had you here for about 45 minutes or so now and we've talked about all kinds of different things around newsletter growth and monetization but You've been doing this for years and years. And I guess the one question I always like to end on is what's a question that I should have asked you, but I didn't. Hmm. Honestly, I think we covered a lot of ground and I really appreciate kind of the thought that you put in into your questions. And yeah, it's been, it's been great to meet you, Lewis. Awesome. Well, likewise, Ryan, where can people follow along with what you do? Where can they check out the, the agency if they are interested in maybe scaling up some growth and talking through through monetization streams and stuff like that. Where can they, where can they get in touch? Absolutely. So on Twitter, I'm at Ryan underscore boat. That's at Ryan underscore boat on Twitter. I talk a lot about kind of the same stuff that we covered today, just newsletter growth and monetization. And then if you'd like to work together, you can either shoot me a DM on Twitter or you can check out our website, which is www.blakely.studio. And the link is also on my Twitter there. So yeah, would love to speak to anybody that's looking to really scale up their newsletter growth. Awesome. And both of those those links obviously will be in the, the show notes as well. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. It's been really great. Super interesting, especially the Twitter stuff. Really glad we had a chance to, to talk about that through as well. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great rest of the day. Fantastic. Thanks again, Luis. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.